All we need is a little understanding Walk a mile in their shoes And if we keep our hearts open-minded We'll enjoy this wild ride called life And if we keep our hearts open-minded We'll enjoy this wild ride, this wild ride called life Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Truths We Hide podcast. I'm really excited today because we have a guest who has actually served in the Israeli army. And I, I can't wait for you to hear her story because it's it's one that's not, not common for us here in the U.S., but also because of how she grew up. <clears throat> how she discovered really everything about her as soon as she became a mom. So uh, please welcome Dorit Palvanov. And gosh, yes, thank you so much for being on here today. Thank you, Annette. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for this opportunity to share my story. Absolutely. So let's start really quick because I, I know there's many of us who are unfamiliar with the process in Israeli, but I, you know, just a little really quick of recap. I, I've known some people in Germany that had to serve once they graduated high school, but I did not know that the same um, happened in is Israel. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, for sure. I'd, I'd love to. So in the way in Israel, um, the way it works in Israel, and if anybody is familiar with the, you know, the Middle East and whatever is happening there, Israel is a tiny little country that is surrounded by um, enemies, <laughs> for lack of a better word. Um, countries that don't necessarily agree with the politics, don't, it's a, it's a, it's a history long uh, debate and um, you know misunderstanding and just you know life in Israel is it's really dangerous from the beginning of time and so in order to keep the country in a livable condition so that it's somewhat safe um, you know, you need to create a structure. I guess the government had to figure out a way to create a structure where um, there are constant soldiers that protect the country. And obviously you cannot do that um, temporarily. It has to happen lot, like all the time. And so they figure out a way that to enroll, um, you know, young kids, uh, who finish their um, high school education, uh, whether it's a boy or a girl. Uh, so around eight, the age of 18, there is a, it's mandatory to serve the country. That's basically, you know, your duty for the country. Um, as we believe that it is a privilege to live in the Holy Land. Um, and so that is, I guess, I guess the least that we can do. Uh, and so, yeah, every uh, boy or girl um, go, have to go to the army. Boys go to the army for three years. 
girls go to the army for two. And in terms of responsibilities in the army, there are many different responsibilities, right? It, it, obviously, it can begin from like hardcore combat where you are learning how to shoot and you are faced um, right in front of enemies and you have to really fight and protect the country. Um, and then on the other spectrum are people who support uh, like the administra administrative aspect uh, of uh, running an army. Um, so in Tel Aviv, which is uh, you know very known city in Israel, there is a, there are many bases all, all throughout the country, but one of the biggest bases is called um, uh, I'm not going to say it in Hebrew, but basically that's where the presidents come and that's where all the leaders of the country come. Um, and I was affiliated um, with that base. Um, however, my job in the army was, uh, and I always like, I, I always have to, I always get some like chuckles from people who hear <laughs> um, my story and how I served the country. But basically my job was, in the educational department, um, meaning I was responsible for teaching um, army kids, but also civilians, uh, all about the history of, of the army and how the army came to be. And the way the Israeli army was formed, it was really formed by the people and out of the necessity to basically to stay alive and, and stay safe. And so uh, I'm sure, you know, everybody knows about the Holocaust and how after uh, whatever happened in Germany, how 6 million Jews were killed and murdered. Um, there were many Jews who fled to Israel. And so because at the time um, Israel was still very much, you know, Forming, you know, we did not have a, um, we didn't even have the, like, we didn't even have a government. Um, and so all of those things, they had to kind of like slowly form and they, they formed through um, illegal forms of um, gatherings by these kids, really, you know, 18, 17 year old kids who in many cases had lost their parents and had lost their entire families, but now had this, you know, high toll of surviving and they formed these illegal operations to fight the, at the time, the Palestine, Palestine, Palestine um, was occupied by the British. Uh, it, it was under the British mandate. Um, and so they basically wanted them to, leave. <laughs> and so they formed these illegal operations and there were three different kinds of illegal operations and they were all ranging in terms of, you know, how their, their politics and what they believe uh, was the right way to negotiate. Um, so one of them was called Haganah, the other, the, the middle one called, called Etzel and the third one was called Lehi. And so they were all very different in their philosophies, but they were formed independently. Um, a lot of people ask me, a lot of people ask, what's the difference between them and terrorists? Um, and if you want, I can get into that. But 
my job was I was working in the Lehi Museum. So that was like the third operation who were pretty extreme in terms of their actions. So they would, yeah, they would use bombs. They would use, you know, aggressive ways to, um, um, I guess, you know, to kick out the British out of the country. And the, the, the reality is, it, is that it worked. Um, eventually the British did leave and those illegal operations, you know, by people who were in the Lehi, in Etzel and the Haganah, they eventually were the first groups who formed, they merged eventually and they formed the, what is now known uh, as IDF, Israeli Defense, Defense Force. Um, and so my job was, I, I was working in, in the Lehi Museum as a, as a guide, and I was basically responsible for telling the story, for sharing the story um, of our history and how the country was formed and how our, um, our army was formed. And the, the history is so rich and there's so much misinformation. Uh, and maybe for those of, of the list, for those listeners who are wondering, what is the difference between, you know, terrorists and whatever, you know, the, you know, people in Lehi or Etzel or Haganah were, were doing? The difference is very clear. When people in Lehi were fighting, they were only fighting against military um, uh, people, meaning only against soldiers or against army, uh, I, sorry, I guess against, against the British po police. Um, they were never doing anything that um, caused the death of civilians. Um, it was never targeted at specifically civilians. And, you know, and if you're, you know, um, comparing that with terrorist groups who are attacking now Israel and I guess all over the world, uh, the difference is that the the target the target is civilians so that's the story uh, i loved what i was doing uh, i loved sharing i loved my um duty it was it was a lot of fun and i've learned so much and it will always be a part a huge part of my life and and, and a huge part of who i who i am because i learned so much about myself uh during these two you know two years of uh, me myself myself being in the army but that's yeah that's my story wow no thank you so much for sharing that that's that's really incredible i feel that uh, you know we, we might need to incorporate that type of system here in the u.s to make and I hate to say that because I, I don't want, I never wanted my kids to join the military, but I think it really does change you as a person. It makes you see things in a whole different light and to learn things about your country that you're serving, you know, not many of us know all that history. So I think it's really, that's really a beautiful thing for you to be able to share that with those of us who had no idea. And uh, yeah, I just, I think it's really, that's pretty amazing. And so after, are you able to continue serving if you wanted to, or was that just it, the, the two or the, the two or the three years? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, some people choose to stay in the army as, as a form of career. Um, so for example, there are some people who, um, you can definitely stay and then that would be a paid position. 
Mm-hmm. So they, you know, you get training. One of the reasons why people, and I think that's uh, across the board, uh, across the entire world, that's, um, you know, it's the same. If you are choosing to um, work in the army, then they would pay for your education. Mm-hmm. So a lot of, uh, let's say, doctors and nurses and people, especially in the medical field, keep, because the education, you know, becoming a doctor is so expensive in Israel. Mm-hmm. So there are some people who uh, choose to stay in the army uh, and get their training, their medical training um, paid for by the army um, so that the, then they can, um, you know, they can always leave. Uh, the way I think it works in the army is they get co- like contracts mm-hmm. um, and they, I guess, you know, if you choose to stay, then they renew your contract, mm-hmm. but it's definitely a choice. Uh, yeah. People can stay. Okay. Wow. That's, mm-hmm. that's really, I love that story. But <laughs> <laughs> So tell us, so you grew up in a home where you were already being molded to to know that you are going to serve, but what else, what else happened at home that changed you? Yeah. So actually I, I did not grow, grow up in a home that, um, I guess it wasn't an ideological from the point of view of like Patriot patriotism. It, that's not the reason why I served in the country. And so with your permission, I would like to go just a little bit back sure, Absolutely. to where I was born. I was actually born in the Soviet Union uh, in 1983, um, where the, the country I was living in, it's, it was called uh, Uzbekistan. Mm-hmm. Um, and back then, the, the whole region was under um, the Soviet Union. And that meant communism. (laughs) And so my parents, um, you know, and my entire community, they basically lived in that region for over 2000 years, like the culture. And I am Jewish. We are, uh, you know, the Jewish tradition and um, the the holidays and, and the culture. It's so rich and so colorful. I mean, from clothing to food to, you know, traditional, um, you know, views of life and, 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 and all of those things. It's a very rich culture. But when the region became uh, under communist, um, I guess, ruling, it changed because then people weren't allowed to practice Judaism. They weren't allowed to go to the synagogue or they weren't allowed to to have, um, you know, to have their babies circumcised um, the way we, we do, or we weren't allowed to um, observe the Sabbath. Um, if, you're, if you're familiar with that, in, you know, in a Jewish um, scripture, we are, as Jews, um, I guess, obligated um, or advised by the Bible to take one day off, and that's the Saturday, Sabbath, to just rest, um, just like God did when he created the world. And so all of those ideas and, and, and stories, you know, that I've heard as a little girl had to be basically cut abruptly when I was about five and a half, six years old. And that's when the Uzbeks um, started to attack the, 
you know, the city where I was living in, and my city is called Andijan, um, and basically burn our homes. So they would, uh, at night, they would like bang on the doors uh, and, and, and make everybody come out. And then they would just throw um, these bottles that, um, I don't even know, how are they called in English? You know, the bottles that, uh, that explode and, and cause fire. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. So you guys know, you know, you know what I mean? I'm sorry. I, I don't, as you understand, I am an immigrant. English is not my first language. So I don't know how it's called. So I anyway. picture it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So then that, that's, they, that's what they would do. They would, these gangs would come to neighborhoods and they would just burn houses down. Um, and so it was just a matter of time before it happened to us. It happened to some of our relatives. And so my, fa my family, my parents, they, they were just obligated to do something. And at the time, the, the thing that, you know, most people did was flee to Israel because Israel at the time was uh, forming. They were accepting immigrants and they were, you know, they, they wanted to build the country. It was in 1991. And so I remember as a very young girl, that's when I basically, I was very close with my dad always, but that's when I started, that's when I lost my father. Now, guys, he didn't die and didn't pass away. He's very much alive still to this day, thank goodness. But I lost him emotionally because he had to, he basically entered the, you know, the gatherer, sorry, the, the hunter mode as a man. And he had to provide for us financially, but also, you know, for our safety and security, he had to make sure that we are all safe. And so it meant, you know, running around from between, you know, officials and different, um, you know, uh, government agencies to get the visa to be allowed to leave. And, and then the other thing, which he, he had done that, but the other thing, it was such a heavy cost and such a heavy price to pay. Um, and that was, they had to leave everything. So the, according to the communist, um, I guess, law or um, condition, they would allow you to leave only if you leave everything you owned behind you, meaning their life savings, their homes, their careers, um, their stuff. You know, we weren't allowed to take anything other than clothes. And so imagine, like, I cannot even imagine building and, 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 and slowly, you know, uh, studying and learning and then, you know, getting a job and then my dad owned a business and, and then, you know, my parents bought a home and we started just, you know, so, and we were just, you know, my sister and I were so little, I was, I was six and my sister was three. Um, so it's, it's, it's those, you know, infancy stages of a young family. And at the, in that very vulnerable stage, they had to just leave everything. And so, you know, I, I know, I know on the show, you talk a lot about PTSD. So I guess my, my dad, my parents had very severe PTSD. Yeah. Um, but they, they never, they never knew, knew that they never had, you know, they, I mean, even to this day, my dad never sought out therapy or help. Um, because I guess, you know, 
growing up under you know the soviet um regime and that's not just me speaking every single person and we are very you know big community we're very kind of like intertwined you know with one another and the way we live it's very it's a very similar trajectory that people go through and they're all messed up mentally and emotionally mm-hmm. uh, because it's, you know as you as you know it's a it's a very serious condition mm-hmm. and 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 what happened after that when we came to israel um my dad i think his nervous system just collapsed um he's unfortunately he's not aware of it we're working on it but he's not aware of it he wouldn't admit it but he has a lot of anger he has a lot of um resentment and as a little girl i grew up in a home where there was a lot of yelling and scolding and just like i feel like it was like an emotional abuse and it's it wasn't it wasn't intentional and my dad never uh you know he was never physically violent but he was very vocally and emotionally violent and that affected my mom it affected their marriage and my my parents still to this day they're married and they love each other however there is this huge elephant in the room that messed up everybody's you know everybody in my family everybody is affected by this um debilitating situation um and eventually my father and also life in israel with all my love to the country and the holy land and i i i really do believe in god and i believe that this is the the country of the jewish people mm-hmm. but life in israel is really really tough it's really hard especially for immigrants now imagine they didn't know the con- the, the the language so they had to learn the language whatever they learned uh whatever career they were building in the soviet union that was obsolete mm-hmm. so they had to learn and study and that meant if you don't know the language how are you going to do that and in in the meantime you also have to buy food um so it was it was it was really really hard for them and so my dad um my dad never went to school he never you know studied anything um he just you know c- continued to to be um you know an employee and and basically a laborer and that's how they provide he provided for us and i'm so grateful i i you know i i've already kind of bypassed that that age where i was just blaming him for all uh, all the things but now as i am a mom myself and i have children myself and i am myself responsible for you know my dependents i understand more of how what he had to go through or of what he went through mm-hmm. um but nevertheless i i grew up with with this emotional instability um it it was almost like i was walking on eggshells my entire life yeah. um i guess not my entire life from my from age 6 mm-hmm. and then my father decided that um life in, he also had some health issues um it's i don't know if you know but in israel and in the middle east in general it's very the, the climate there is very hot mm mm-hmm. 
And so um, my dad developed this severe asthma, um, which, you know, is I, I, I think um, health issues, uh, you guys are, already know that health issues are very um, common in, with people uh, with PTSD mm-hmm. um, as the immune system weakens. So he developed very severe asthma. He couldn't breathe. He had, he, he really struggled. I remember him, him really struggling. And then he and my mom at ni- I think it was 1995, um, they visited my mom's family in Canada. So some people left to Israel, some people left to the, the United States, some people left to Canada, you know, when the Soviet Union, when people were kind of fleeing um, their, their homes. Um, and so my mom's aunt came to Canada and my parent, my dad immediately fell in love uh, with the weather uh, and, and, you know, just the culture, the way it is here. And from that point onwards, he vowed to himself that he is going to move and immigrate from Israel to Canada. Now this too, Annette, took 10 debilitating years as, yeah, as again, you know, it's a new language and it's a new transition and it's, it's, everything is new again. And he, he, you know, every time he tried, there was like rejection after rejection after rejection. Like it was always denied, 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 denied. And you have to understand during these 10 years, my dad, because my dad, he's a very determined man. Um, but this determination was kind of like all or nothing. And what was hurtful to us, to me, I'm going to speak for myself. It was that he, he didn't want to provide, let's say healthier living conditions. So we lived in this tiny apartment at the time, my grandfather and grandmother, they lived with us and it was just a nightmare. Uh, we were all squished in this tiny little apartment, but because he was so determined that he does not want to invest any longer in building in Israel and, and you know, in having a bigger home and, and creating anything new because his whole energy was geared up towards moving again. Um, so that, that was like another layer of this struggle and this, um, you know, emotional instability. We basically lived on suitcases for 10 years and eventually, yeah, it was, it was terrible. And then eventually I remember the day I, it's interesting because I was already in the army and I, I will never forget the day when I came home one day from the army, um, to find a yellow envelope in the in the mail um and i i saw that the the sender was um the government of canada something like that i and and after 10 years we we my my mom myself and my sister we already kind of like lost hope we knew that it's not happening we thought it's not happening, but my dad still kept on working. He still kept on drilling. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, and his determination eventually paid off. And I remember, you know, coming upstairs, holding this envelope and, and not believing it, like not believing that it actually happened. And so now I remember like opening the door and telling, sharing this with my mom. And we had this moment where we're like, no, we're not going to show this to dad. (laughs) 
Um, but eventually, of course, we did. Um, but nobody wanted to leave. Nobody, my sister, my mom, uh, nobody other than myself and my dad. I was the one who supported my father. Um, I guess now that I'm thinking about it, the deeper reason for it was because I just wanted to see my dad happy again. I really did. Yeah. Um, because he had been through so much and, and that's another point, you know, one of these moments I will never forget in my life where, when we came to Canada, um, and we, uh, we already had some family members here who had rented an apartment for us. And I remember us just entering that apartment with our suitcases and all and putting the suitcases on the floor, on the ground. And then my dad, for the first time in ages, he took this exhale. Oh, I remember that. I remember that moment when his face, like all of his wrinkles and all of his, like all of that just, like just straightened up and that was such a powerful moment for me because I, I remember feeling the hopefulness. Like I remember feeling like, okay, now finally it's, it's going to happen. Like my dad will have an opportunity to heal in this country. So no more, you know, running around like crazy and, and, and just, you know, all this pressure, it was like a pressure cooker. It was, it was crazy. Um, so, so yeah, so, the, so that happened as well. And then two years later, <laughs> uh, I met my husband two years after we came here. I was already 21 years old when we came here. I finished my, I just finished my uh, army duty. And two weeks after that, we came to Canada. So everything happened very quickly. And then two years after that, when I was 23, I met my husband. And then two years later, when I was 25, we got married. And all of the things I'm sharing with you uh, and the listeners today, they happened. I, I wasn't even aware of them, yeah. but all of this kind of, that can of worms opened up for me when I became a mom myself. And when I was in a place that was safe, when I was in a country where there's so much opportunity, I did have the language. I did have, you know, I knew English. I, I was loved. I was safe. But still my nervous system, because of all the things I went through, it was encoded for danger. It was encoded for fight and flight. And so I remember the times when I was just, like a crazy person yelling and, 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 and just like completely get, you know, getting out of control. Um, and that's when I really had to become honest with myself and understand that it, I cannot, this is not me. This is not who I am. And this is not who I want to, to, to build my marriage. This is not how I want to be as a mom. Um, and that's when my healing started. That's, it's really powerful. And it is to go through all of that. And then it's almost like with your dad being able to exhale, once you had your, your children, you were able to 
exhale a little bit because now you're in a whole different place and you were finally able to see and it's just it, that's so it, it's absolutely amazing and so yeah. you you started your self-healing journey in canada after after all of this yes <laughs> <laughs> yes yes um yeah because i didn't see a way out i i, I um it was for me it was either i'm just going to repeat the generational pattern of what i've seen i had witnessed at home and i just had this visceral feeling that i this is not how i want my family to be uh and i had to you know the other place the other space was just venturing into this completely new unknown which you know <laughs> it's so scary it is and it still is um but that is the place where um it's so funny annette that we're talking right now because where we are we live in is in, in canada for already 15 years um and and it's what's interesting is that it's the same amount of years we lived in israel so we left we lived in Israel for 15 years. Now we live in Canada for 15 years. Oh, wow. And, and so it's, it's the same amount of time. And right now what's happening with my father is that he is, again, right? Like we are safe, like we are okay. But again, because his core nervous system and his adrenals, like, and, and his you know, his cortisol, I think, is pumping in his system nonstop because of the, um, of that, um, that pattern of fear and, and, and insecurity and instability that he grew up with. Mm -hmm. Now what's happening is that he is perpetuating it when there is no evident threat. Yeah. And, and so where we are right now in terms of, you know, helping my dad to see it is that just recently something really awful happened in our family where he had lost his, he had completely lost, am I allowed to swear on this podcast? Yes. Okay. He had lost his shit. <laughs> in front of everybody like we were having a family meal and he just somebody said something and he just he made such a big like it was such a dramatic <laughs> you know explosive um experience and again it touched everybody everybody it affects me it affects my family it affects my kids who i worked so hard to never see what I had seen, to never experience what I had experienced, right? To grow in comfort and in love and in safety. And they had seen my dad <laughs> going through this, you know, crazy time um, and, and being so reactive and being so explosive. And it's so, it, and what's, what was interesting was because I, I had seen myself changing and shifting so much because I went from being the, the deprived girl the deprived little girl who lost her daddy to now this woman who is wiser who is a little bit smarter 
who is now a mother and a wife herself, to seeing my dad's pain. I just had seen him as maybe a five or four-year-old little boy who is just tantruming. And it's heartbreaking to see a, an adult grown man, my dad is in his 60s now, you know, going through that. Um, it really is heartbreaking. But what I'm, I guess what, where I'm going with this is that I, for the first time in my life, I feel like I now have this window to help my dad. And that's another piece, by the way, Annette, I, I don't know if you kind of like, are, are, if you're gathering that from what I'm sharing, but because I was, uh, I, I am such an empath and I am such a, so I've, I've always been very much in tune with my feelings and emotions, but I've, I've always felt like I'm not allowed to feel because feeling, feeling makes me, brings me so much pain, but I, um, I had to learn to protect myself. I had to, you know, to learn to, um, to cope. And my coping me mechanism was pretending. And, and, and my coping mechanism was also kind of like carrying the weight of my parents' pain on my shoulders, which was so heavy, mm -hmm. so heavy. And I remember working through this with my therapists and my coaches where they taught me that Dorit, it's not your job to parent your parents. Yeah. It's not. <laughs> and it's, it's so hard to, to not do because they, they are my parents. Yeah. And, 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 and I know so much and I went through healing and I've chosen therapy. And now look at me. I, 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 you know, I'm enlightened. <laughs> right. So there's so much there as well. Um, it's really, 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 really hard to see your parents going through hard time, not being able to cope emotionally. And I had took on all of that. Um, so that was another layer of, um, of my healing, you know, and, and all of that had, to, I had to look into that. I had to be really honest with me and who I am because, and it's interesting because the work that I now, now do in the world with women and, and most of my clients are women who are wives and mothers who also have this family trauma, family of origin, the trauma that they've cared, that they've brought from their family of origin being reawakened. And that is being the way it's manifested and, and the way it was manifested for me was this huge drain of energy. I was just tired all the time, all the time. I couldn't even, like, I couldn't even, I couldn't work. I couldn't, I, I, I had to just, I only had energy to just barely survive, to just tend to the, like the logistics of my household. But that wasn't, a normal, healthy life that wasn't joyful living. Mm. I definitely didn't feel like I am living up to my potential as a woman. Mm -hmm. uh, so all of those things, I had to really honestly look at, at them so that I can finally decide how I want to live. Yeah. So it all goes back to energy for me. Mm -hmm. um, energy 
in the body energy and you know that you carry with yourself whether it's your aura or the way you um kind of understand yourself as a container for life um and and also boundaries uh, you know I'm, I'm still learning how to create solid um kind uh, but very strong boundaries with my parents um because we are we were so enmeshed <laughs> we were like so intertwined you know um and so yeah that takes a lot of strength to want to do what you're doing to finally be able to see what exactly you wanted out of life because you did you gosh you carried that for so many years just trying to make your parents happy trying to see your dad happy and i can't you know I, i'm sitting here listening to your story and i and i'm shake and i'm nodding my head thinking oh my gosh like it, i resonate with some of this so much because our parents grew up in that generation where they didn't talk about it they didn't go see therapists they did not ask for help and then that was passed down to us until we finally realized no i can't do this like i need i need to say i i need to talk to somebody or i'm going to explode and so I, i'm seeing this in myself while you're speaking and i think it's just it, it takes it does it takes strength it takes courage because it's scary and it's that's huge it is Maybe. it is it's <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so hard it is yeah. so hard to see your parents go through that and they don't you could tell them every day all day why don't you go talk to somebody and they'll look at you like are you kidding me i'm not gonna tell my business to other people <laughs> yeah especially for men it's really hard to do my mom actually my mom did go see somebody and she is working with somebody that's weird. um yeah but my my dad is no i i it's an, this is where, what I always tell my dad. I'm like, daddy, as long as, because he's always, I don't know if it's, if, if you can resonate with that, but the way men are in our culture, um, in our culture is we're very like patriarchal, patriarchal and very traditional in that sense that the men views them, the men are taught to be the providers mm -hmm. and, um, you know, to provide financially for their family um whatever that means <laughs> um and then once you are done meaning you're an empty nester you are basically useless mm -hmm. and so there are so many men in my community who who, who are already in their mid-60s and they feel that they're just useless to the world and it's so heartbreaking uh, and it's just part of this, you know, um, of this upbringing and, and, and the belief that it's, it's all very self-centered, right? Me, 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 me. Mm -hmm. uh, but like my culture, in my culture, it's very rare that there is this thought about, let's say, doing something for the community or volunteering or doing something for the greater good. Um, <laughs> where I think these people, especially, you know, in that age, that's where they could be the most useful to the world. But instead, what I'm seeing 
people in my community doing is that they still work until you're allowed to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're going to basically bury themselves in front of the TV for the whole day. <laughs> for the entire day, they're just going to eat and watch TV, eat and watch TV. And for me, it's so heartbreaking. It is. It is heartbreaking to see men, especially men. I see this problem very, very clearly in, the, in my community, especially with men. Um, with women too, but women are still, I guess, because women are a little bit more social, women still do have social, more, more or less social life, right? They do. They, my mom, for example, I'm a mother-in-law, like they would do go to yoga and they still have like social circles and women's circles, but men are really, really struggling. Now that couple coupled with an, I and miss an undiagnosed PTSD. Yes. But all the, you know, um, trauma that they've carried for all these years and the, the regret that they, they carry on their shoulders and the, the unsatisfaction from life, it, it, like all of the stuff they're carrying with them. Yeah. Um, and it's, it, 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 it makes life unbearable. So I do understand why my dad still in his mid-60s having is having tantrums i understand however it is not it's not healthy it's not healthy and um yeah the it's any and and the the other part is that everybody keeps telling him you know you should you know you're a grown man you know uh you cannot you can no longer behave like this it's you know it's touching everybody it's affecting everybody what I am seeing is that he does not have the capacity to see others because he still hasn't mastered taking care of himself. Yeah. And the heartbreak, the heartbreak and the tragedy, really, I call this human tragedy is that until he realizes that nothing else can happen, like nothing else can heal. Um, and I really do hope that he will be more, um, more honest with himself and more courageous. And he will really see himself as worthy of, um, you know, of healing. Yeah. Yeah, that's so heartbreaking that yeah, you're right. There, there's so many men out there who feel that they can no longer do what they used to do provide and work and all that that they they feel useless like there's no nothing else left for them but there really is and there's got to be a way to to help them realize that but I guess once you get to a certain age you're just that stubborn that you just don't see it and you don't want to hear it and so it's so difficult to communicate that to them oh yeah and then that that um you know like the the natural um, aging piece, um, coupled with understanding of simple, simple biology mm-hmm. that, uh, um, especially, I mean, it happens with women too, but for men, their testosterone, right. Their sex hormone, mm-hmm. um, begins to decline. Uh, once they, um, reach, it starts to decline rapidly, um, in their mid forties. Mm-hmm. And so 
that is a big part of why so many men don't have energy and don't have the will. And, and, and all they want to do is just, you know, pluck themselves in front of the TV. However, if hormones is a problem, it's so easy to fix. Like you can actually fix that. You know, you can do some bioidentical hormones or you can try exercising. Exercising boosts, you know, your, um, your endorphins and makes you feel, you know, more alive. And again, also having, uh, strengthening your body, right? And so, again, I think it's really difficult and almost impossible from my experience to do unless you believe that you are worthy of feeling good and, and, and being joyful. Um, and then the other piece, what I'm seeing is that like a lot of these men in my community who went through the same story like my dad did, um, they are very much disconnected spiritually, mm. um, meaning they they are lacking that connection with higher power, whether it's God, the universe, um, whatever it is, to inspire them that there's something greater, something bigger than themselves, um, and to continue leaning in to that. Um, because I guess, especially in this age, material, like material stuff, they don't matter anymore. Right. And what you're left with is just who you are and who you think you are and, and, and the contribution you've had, you know, in, in the, the lives you've touched. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So very much, it's, it's a very, it's an evolving story. Let me put it this way. <laughs> so what do you do now to help others? And are you, do you feel like you're in, um, in a better place, uh, as far as your, your self healing? Uh, oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> it's not in day. So for me, my barometer, my, um, I guess how I know if I'm doing well is if, if I'm, you know, yelling in, in, in home. <laughs> um, so I haven't yelled in, oh my gosh, months, even throughout coronavirus. So for me, this is like such a, it's such a, such a relief because I grew up in an emotionally unstable home. Right. And what I wanted and still want more than anything to provide for my kids um, is this, you know, the complete opposite. I want to provide for them, you know, emotional stability. I want to provide for them, you know, I want them to be seen and heard. And, um, and of course, you know, I'm, please, the listeners and you, you also, Annette, please don't think that I am judging my father or my parents or blaming them. Believe me, I've, I went through that too. <laughs> I went through the piece where I was like, but it's not fair. And why did I, why was I born to these people? And da, 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 da. like, I'm already past that because it's not useful. It's not helpful. Um, and because I've allowed in my own life to lean into God and lean into, you know, higher purpose, and then if you believe in those things, you understand that you actually are the one who choose your parents. And, and I do truly believe in that. And it's, it's such a huge 
part of, they are such a huge part of my story, of my story of becoming who I want to be and who I'm destined to be. And then I'm also so grateful for my dad that he brought us here because that's where I found, you know, that's where I met my soulmate and that's where we've built and created a family. Um, And so there are like, there are a lot of pieces to this, but my work right now is dedicated to helping women really hone in the power of their female body from the perspective of understanding how to cultivate, how to create and also sustain energy throughout our entire life. Um, So that means the courage to look, you know, into your past. It means the courage to really like sift through the crap and, and, and really being vulnerable and, and, and courageous to open up this can of worms and talk about, you know, you know, what your dad did when you were six years old or seven years old. Or, I mean, for me, I remember the insults. And one of the hardest things that my father told me was he repeatedly called me a slut. Repeatedly. And that was a hard pill to swallow. And I knew even in those moments when he'd said, he had said those things, I knew he didn't meant them ever. I knew he always did that because of his own emotional instability and immaturity. But yet it's in me, right? How do I um, kind of like heal and, and, and untangle myself from that, from that, right? How do I not let this become my identity? Um, and for me, a lot of those things happened through relationships. And so I attracted uh, and that was still in Israel. I attracted the, the com- completely the wrong man into my life. Um, and I ended up wasting five precious years of my life believing that I have to be somebody uh, or, or, you know, whatever I thought being a woman meant. I lost my virginity when I was 18 years old to this man because I believed that you know, that's what a sexy woman is. And, um, and, and, you know, you eat in a certain way and you move in a certain way and you flirt in a certain way because I completely, I didn't know at all who I am as a woman. I didn't know at all. And so I had to redefine that. I had, I had to really dive deep into womanhood and into motherhood and into wifehood and into um, women's health and really understanding myself. Um, And, and again, energy is like the bigger piece for me. And so what I do now is I work with women one-on-one who are, now wives and mothers and also business owners who are struggling, who feel stuck, who feel stuck um, to manifest the life of their dreams because of the, you know, decades long trauma they are carrying from their family of origin Mm -hmm. Um, and really redefining and understanding what it means to be a woman and how God designed our female body in terms of, you know, our energy system um, that is very, very much different than a men's energy system. Mm -hmm. Um, 
a huge piece of that is the way our hormone system, our hormonal system works. Um, so when we understand all of that, all of a sudden, you know, you begin to feel like, oh, I do have the energy, you know? So it's not only doing like the things that I have to do, right? The, the running my home or, or the logistics or, you know, doing my job or caring, taking care of the must have, you know, the, the things that are basically life's necessities. But now I actually have energy and life force to desire let's say more sex like it's in my tagline <laughs> i work with women i help them to create more energy so that by the time kids are finally in bed you have you choose sex or to connect with your partner you know instead of binging on netflix which so many women do so <laughs> many women do right so it's it's the life force it's the it's the the feeling of it's that juice of life that I remember. I, it was like, it, it was as, as though it was sucked out of me. It was, li it literally felt like something was sucked out of me. Um, I was sucked dry for so many years. And as a mom, I, especially, you know, I'm raised because I'm raising daughters. I could not live with the fact that I am modeling for them a life that is lifeless, yeah. a life that is not joyful, a life that is not fun. And I could not look in my daughter's eyes and tell her, honey, here, this is why you should get married. This is why you should have kids. It's going to be amazing. How could I could not, I could not do that authentically. I felt like I'm a fraud. I felt like I'm lying to my children. And so I had, to, I had to do this work with myself. And so now I'm so grateful that I get to, you know, work with other women who feel really, really confused, who feel really, really dry and, and empty, like an empty vessel who are just sleepwalking through life and, and wishing for the, the day to just be over already. And, and life it has so much more in store for you when you actually, you know, gain the courage and, 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 and become the woman who you were destined to be. That's incredible. Wow. Well, thank you for doing what you do because I know there's plenty of women out there who are going to need to talk to somebody like you. So yeah, that's, your whole message is just, it was so powerful and I absolutely appreciate you sharing it all because I, you know, I can't imagine, but then again, it's just, it's amazing to see the woman that you are now because of it. And so I know that I, for one, was not judging you at all or no thinking that you were judging your father because I, 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 I can resonate with, with, with how my father was as well, but I, I still think it's a beautiful thing that you have now come into the point of your life where you can understand why he did what he did and then appreciate that more. So it's, 
it's it's this whole thing is just absolutely incredible and i you know where where can the listeners find you to get this powerful message that you have been spreading yeah thank you so um i'm all over the internet <laughs> you can find me over um at my website so www.doritpalvanov.com you are also very welcome to um, subscribe to my, to my podcast. It's called The Confident, Energized, and Sexy Mama. Um, if you are on Facebook, um, join my group. It's called Confident, Energy, and Sexy Mama's Village. And if you're on Instagram, then you can find me by my handle at Dorit Palvanov Coaching. Um, I'm all over the internet. I always put things out there, uh, my posts, uh, my Insta stories. Um, and, and really this is like, this is, this is the heart of what I do, especially if you are raising daughters. I think this is your duty to look at yourself from the perspective of raising yourself alongside raising your daughters because there's so much that you can learn from your kids, especially, you know, when they're really young, it's almost like getting a second chance at being a child again, right? Because, because I was in, under so much stress and under so much trauma, I almost was like, I was just walking through life unconsciously. And so I, I didn't even remember <laughs> how I used to think as a six-year-old, as a seven-year-old, as an eight-year-old, as a 10-year-old. I, I just, I, I had forgotten. And so my kids are giving me this opportunity to be a little girl again and um, really heal that wounded, you know, daughter that I was. And, and really step into the woman I want to be for them. Yeah. No, oh, that is, it's, it's amazing. And I, I can understand that because I, I have a daughter who, you know, we don't think that they're watching or listening to the things that we do, but in fact that they are. So we have to remember, how do I want my own daughter to grow up to be? What kind of person do I want her to be? And it comes, it starts with ourselves because we're, we're, we're their model, their role model. So it's, it's amazing what you do. And gosh, I just, you know, I really appreciate you being on here and sharing such a personal story, but also for the work that you do. So thank you so much, Dorit, for, for reaching out and being on here. Thank you so much for saying yes. And thank you for sharing. Of course. So for the listeners, I'm going to definitely put this in the show notes and in the podcast guide. So make sure you are following that. And again, thank you so much. I can't wait to share this story. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Truths We Hide podcast created and founded by your host, Annette, the founder of a wild ride call life. Also a big thank you to all of our sponsors for each and every episode that is aired. We have so much support from them and all of our listeners. You can find more information at www.awildridecalllife.com.